0: Most of what I preach in my sermons is stolen yeah. and borrowed, um, blatantly from other people. Usually, I've forgotten who I borrowed it from, but I've learned from all kinds of other people that I've read or heard, um, and it gets put together into talks. But maybe um, I wanted to. I did mention briefly last week, but um, there's a, a preacher from uh, North America called Fleming Rutledge, um, who is my favourite writer and preacher about Advent. Uh, and I read I read her sermons on Advent every this time of year every year. Uh, and I think most of what I'm going to share with you this morning I have shamelessly plundered uh, from from her. Uh, so I thought it was it was important to say that this morning. Um, we're thinking about John the Baptist. We were thinking about him last week. Uh, we're thinking about John the Baptist's purpose as expressed in Luke 1, verse 17, which says this was. Uh, spoken by the angel before John the Baptist was born. But it says his purpose is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Um, and I guess both last week and this week, we're thinking about what what does that mean? What does it mean to be a people prepared for the Lord? Uh, and maybe how can this strange figure of John the Baptist um, help to prepare our hearts as we get ready for Christmas, as we get ready to celebrate the message of Christmas, How might John the Baptist help to prepare our hearts? Um, And that that Christmas carol that says, let every heart prepare him room. How might John the Baptist just help us in preparing to hear uh, the glad good news of of Christmas? And I guess last week, uh, we thought about um, one part of John the Baptist's message, which was his message of repentance and how John the Baptist helps us to face the darkness that's in our own hearts and make a fearless inventory of the dark so that we can then receive forgiveness and healing and gospel joy. And so although repentance is a difficult thing uh, to think about, we thought about how repentance prepares us for joy. Um, And so John the Baptist um, prepares us in that way. Um, This week, we're going to look at another way in which John the Baptist prepares us for message of Christmas. Um, So I want to read from Luke chapter 3. I should say, of course, the the bit we're reading about, this is John the Baptist as an adult. So of course, in terms of chronology, Jesus has already been born at this stage, but Jesus had not yet begun his public ministry. And so in that sense, um, John the Baptist was still preparing the way for the coming of Jesus, for what Jesus was about to begin um, and do. So Luke chapter 3, reading from verse 15, says this. The people were waiting expectantly. I'll just pause there to say that. That is an Advent phrase if ever I heard one. Uh, The people were waiting expectantly. And they were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork. Oh, I'm missing a little bit of my text. You'll just have to listen. Um, Oh, was, was it there? Oh, it's there. It is there. Um, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Um, So last week, John prepares our hearts by calling us to repentance. But what I want to think about this week is how John prepares our hearts by pointing away from himself and pointing to Jesus. Um, so, this is a painting by somebody called Karachi, I don't know anything about art, uh, back in 1600 or so. But if you look online for paintings of John the Baptist, they all disagree about what he looked like. He's very clean shaven in this one, uh, usually, he's more bearded. Um, but a lot of them, Um, capture this sense of John the Baptist as someone who points away from himself and points to Jesus. Um, That's kind of the whole heart of John the Baptist's life and mission. He is constantly and consistently saying don't look at me, look at Jesus. John, John the Baptist's whole life and mission is to be a signpost pointing the world to the one who is to come, to Jesus. Um, so if you look at the language in the passage that we, we just read, um, John the Baptist talks about one who is coming who is more powerful than I, um, and he uses some very um, striking images. He, he speaks of one uh, and says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, which I guess is the first century equivalent of, I'm not wor- worthy to tie his shoelaces, as we might say today. Um, and maybe for me, most strikingly, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming is going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And so he draws this contrast. He's saying, because John the Baptist was popular. John the Baptist drew crowds to him. He was quite a famous preacher in his time. But again and again and again, he's saying, you haven't seen anything yet. Will you see what's coming? Um uh, he's pointing to Jesus. Um, and we see the same thing when we look at the other gospels. So uh, famously in John chapter 1, um, John the Baptist, when Jesus does appear uh, ready to begin his public ministry, what does John the Baptist say? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I love the way in John, in John chapter 1 then, uh, a little bit later, it tells us the next day again. Again. John the Baptist went out and said, look, the Lamb of God. And it's telling us this was an everyday thing for John the Baptist. Every day, what's he about in case people haven't got the message? Look, don't look at me. Look over there. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And maybe again in a a very memorable image in John chapter 3, John the Baptist actually compares himself to the best man at a wedding. Um, So I got to see Wallace Bruce being a best man um, a couple of weeks ago uh, and he did the job very well. He got very emotional. Um, But um, I don't know if you've ever been at a wedding, this wasn't true of Wallace, but I don't know if you've ever been at a wedding where the best man made it all about himself um, and kind of tried to make himself the centre of the show and was kind of going, look at me, look how funny I am, look how amazing I am, and distracted attention away from the bride and groom. That's a best man being a bad best man. Uh, The worst man, (laughs) maybe. Um, That's not the job of the best man. And John the Baptist, when he talks about being the best man, says the friend of the bridegroom waits for the bridegroom and listens for him. And when he hears the bridegroom's voice, he is full of joy. What what does the, the best man want? He wants everyone to look at the bridegroom and see how amazing he is. He wants everyone to listen to the bridegroom and not listen to him. Um, It's a really memorable image. What gives him joy is to point attention uh, towards the bridegroom, towards Jesus. Uh, And so in all of that, I think John the Baptist um, helps us look at Jesus and maybe asks us this question. It's a question I want us to think about this morning. What do you see when you look at Jesus? John the Baptist keeps telling us, look, look, look. Um, And I wonder, what do you see when you look at Jesus? Let me tell a story for a minute about the Dalai Lama. You don't need to panic, but I want to tell you a story. Um, The the Dalai Lama is the most famous Buddhist leader in the world. Uh, And many years ago, um, he gave an interview to the, the New York Times. And at one point, the interviewer asked the Dalai Lama if he ever got angry. Uh, And maybe to help him or encourage him a little bit, the interviewer added this comment and said, even Jesus got angry, Um, and asked him, do you get angry? Uh, The Dalai Lama responded quite vehemently and said, don't compare me with Jesus. He is a great master, a great master. Um, don't know what you think of that response. It's really thought provoking. Um, there's a lot. I think there's a lot to like about that response, and there's a lot of humility in it. Um, it might even sound a little bit like John the Baptist, um, and yet I, I want to suggest this morning that actually there's a world of difference between the view of the Dalai Lama and the view of John the Baptist, because. John the Baptist does not regard Jesus as a great spiritual master. John the Baptist regards Jesus as the great master, the master of the house, the master of the universe who has come uh, to, to that which is his own. He doesn't see Jesus as a wise spiritual teacher or guru or prophet. He sees him as the Messiah, the long expected King. He sees him as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He sees him as the King of creation and the Saviour of the world. And so, I want to ask you again: what What do you see when you look at Jesus? Um, there are lots of people in our world who kind of admire Jesus as a spiritual leader, as a teacher. Uh, There are lots of people who who quite like some of the stories about Jesus, at least some of them. Um, And maybe especially at this time of year, um, there are a lot of people who like, you know, the the baby in the manger is a good story. The shepherds, the kings, the star, um, it's a good story. And so for some people, that's what Jesus is. He's an inspiring and uplifting story. How does John see Jesus. He sees him as one who is immeasurably, almost indescribably powerful. He sees him as one who is coming to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. He pictures Jesus as coming with a winnowing fork in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff, to separate what's real and lasting from what is um, nothing, from what is uh chaff. And all of that kind of makes me wonder um, what do I see when I look at Jesus? Is my view of Jesus too small? Is my view of Jesus too tame? Um, John sees him as one who comes with incredible power and with fire. Um, John, I think, helps us to see Jesus more clearly. And he helps us see Jesus more clearly. Um, So we can be people who wait expectantly for him. And I want to come back to that that phrase, that beautiful kind of Advent phrase. Um, John the Baptist helps us by by giving us a clearer view of Jesus. He helps us be people who wait expectantly for him. Um, Maybe, as I say that, you're kind of puzzling about it and you're thinking, you know, but we're not waiting for Jesus. Um, the people, the people of John the Baptist's time, they had been waiting for a long time, right? They'd been waiting for hundreds of years. The people of Judah, um, for a Messiah to come. The prophets had talked about one who was coming. They talked about a king who was coming. They talked about one from the the, the line of David who was coming. Who was going to bring a kingdom of righteousness and justice. And so they've been longing and waiting for centuries. But We believe as Christians today that Messiah has already come and in fact we're getting ready at Christmas to celebrate his coming as a past event and so maybe you're thinking we're not waiting, they were waiting expectantly um, but we're not waiting. Um, I want to suggest this morning there are at least two major ways in which we are still waiting. Maddie encouraged us earlier on to wait on the Lord uh, I want to suggest two uh, big ways in which we're still waiting, and the first one is this: is that we are waiting for him to come again um, i don 't know if you know that historically Advent was not primarily the time for the church to get ready for Christmas. it was actually primarily the time uh, to focus on waiting for the the second coming of Jesus, and we 're waiting for him to come again. Um, It's an event that that we tend to call the second coming but the New Testament writers, their most common way of describing it is they call it the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I love that phrase, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the parousia in Greek, his appearing. In other words, they're they're saying right now Jesus is hidden from our sight but the day is coming when he is going to appear and all eyes will see his glory. And then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus the Messiah is Lord. And then the secrets of all people's hearts will be revealed. And then he will judge the living and the dead. That's what our New Testament tells us. Um, And we do need to pause when we say that and say, if we are not trusting in Jesus as our Savior, if we're not leaning the confidence of our hearts and our lives on him, then that's kind of a scary thing to think about. It's a day to fear. Because we have to ask, who can stand on a day like that when everything that's hidden is brought into the open and the secrets of every heart get revealed and the righteous one judges the living and the dead? Who can stand on a day like that? He comes with a winnowing fork in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff. But I also wanna say this, that the good news of the gospel is this, is that that is not a day that anybody needs to fear. Because the one who's coming as the righteous judge is also the one who came as a baby in a feeding trough. And he's also the one who died on a hill outside Jerusalem on a Roman cross. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he has taken the fire of judgment on himself and so if we ask him he will take the shame and the blame of our sin and he will forgive us and wash us clean and make us new and give us a new heart and put his spirit within us and if that's something you haven't done in your life up to now that's something you can do this morning is ask him <laughs> to take away your sin and to make you new and to give you a new heart and to give you his spirit um, and then that day of his appearing, that day of his coming, is not a day that you need to fear. That is a day of great joy. We wait expectantly for his coming. Um, and there's a beautiful old hymn uh, that I think expresses it uh, really well when it says, And Lord, haste the day. So the songwriter is saying, Let it be soon, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Right? The songwriter is not afraid of that day, but is looking forward to it, is leaning forward, waiting expectantly for faith to be turned to sight. We're waiting expectantly for the day of his appearing. Um, there's another sense in which Uh, we're waiting. That's one one big sense in which we're still waiting. Uh, But there's another sense which I think is also really important. Um, Sometimes maybe we think like this. We think Jesus came 2,000 years ago and all these dramatic things happened, miracles and angels and just stuff happened all around him. And one day in the future, Jesus is going to come again and then all kinds of dramatic and miraculous things are going to happen. But sometimes we think Here in the middle, in the meantime, nothing much happens at all, right? Sometimes that's how we think. Um, There's miracles on the left of us and miracles on the right of us, but here there's nothing much. Um, Here in the middle of our ordinary days and lives, um, well, I guess, can I ask this question? Do we have the expectation that Jesus will come, that he will come with power, that he will come with fire, that he will come with his Holy Spirit, and that something might happen right where we are in the middle. Um, When our brother James from Nigeria was sharing with us last week, um, James used a phrase that really stayed with me this week, and he was encouraging us, and he said, if we're trusting in God, we're waiting and trusting in God, he will come to visit us I think that's a powerful phrase. Um, He will come to visit us. I wonder, do you believe that that is true? That Jesus could show up in the circumstances of your life this week, in your home, your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, and make stuff happen, (laughs) make things happen, make things new. I wonder, do you believe that? Or do you believe that all the miracles are back then, And someday in the future, do you believe that Jesus could come with power, that he could come with fire? Um, When John the Baptist was born, um, his father spoke prophetically in Luke chapter 1, verse 78. Uh, It's one of my favorite Advent verses. Um, And his father spoke these words. He said, "Because, because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us. And actually, literally, what it says is the rising sun will visit us. There's that phrase. Um, the, the, the light will come. Uh, the light will visit us. And then if we ask what will happen when the rising sun comes to us, uh, Zechariah goes on in his words to say, light will shine on those living in darkness. Right? It's like the, the verse that Jenny read to us earlier. Light will shine on those living in darkness. Light will shine on those living in the shadow of death. And will guide our feet into the path of peace. That's what will happen when the sun rises. Um, And so I think John the Baptist teaches us to wait expectantly, especially where there, and this has been a big theme this morning, but especially where there is darkness in our lives or in our world, especially where we're aware of the shadow of death, especially where there is a lack of peace in our lives, where there's a lack of shalom, a lack of well-being and wholeness, we are to be people who wait for the sunrise. I don't think that's just about waiting for his appearing and his coming, though it includes that, but it's also waiting expectantly with the belief that he may come where we are and bring all kinds of surprising, miraculous healing and hope and new life. Waiting for Jesus to come and visit us with his light and his peace. Um, Maybe that's an encouragement for you uh, this morning. There's one more thing I want to just mention about John the Baptist before um, I finish. Um, And it's this, let's go back to that uh, painting. I don't know why John the Baptist is standing like that, exactly. It's a very jaunty kind of, kind of pose, but um, I want to suggest John the Baptist also shows us, although we think of John the Baptist as a very fierce character, um, maybe coming back to a the theme we talked about last week, um, John the Baptist also shows us how to live with joy. Maybe that's how you stand if you're joyful. Um, um, why does John the Baptist help us, show us how to live with joy? Um, I think for this reason that our world constantly teaches us to live as if we are the centre of the story and it encourages us to focus always on ourselves uh, and to find yourself and to be yourself and to express yourself and so on and so on. And the thing is that sounds liberating, you know, be yourself, express yourself, sounds really liberating but it's actually in the end really exhausting because we constantly worry about how we appear to other people. And we constantly worry about whether we are being our best selves or our truest selves or we've really found ourselves, or whatever. And actually focus on self makes our lives small and it makes our lives anxious and it makes our lives ingrown. And I think John the Baptist actually shows us a much better way. John the Baptist lives a life that is focused away from himself. So in John chapter 3, verse 30, some of his most famous words, John the Baptist says, speaking of Jesus, he must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist, one of the most wildly popular preachers of his day, but he says, my goal, my ambition is I want to become less, I want to decrease, I want him to be magnified, I want him uh, to increase. And I think in our kind of culture of self-promotion, where everybody wants to be famous for at least five minutes, um, that can sound really strange for someone to say my ambition is to become less. It can even sound to some people maybe a little bit sad but actually I want to suggest it's the opposite. That To live as a signpost pointing to Jesus is a life of great freedom and great purpose and great joy. Liberated from obsession with self. Um, I was really struck a few weeks ago, Katrina was sharing in the open time and she spoke about the relief of realising I'm not the centre of the story. <laughs> it's a great relief. And realizing I'm not the star of the movie Uh, and we're set free from that kind of suffocating obsession with the self. Um, Tim Keller has a little book uh, with a title, I've never read the book but the title did me good, Um, the title it's called The Freedom of Self Forgetfulness. That was all I needed was the title, that's brilliant. Um, There's great joy in stopping obsessing about yourself And getting on with living for something bigger and outward um c.s lewis says um, if we focus on trying to find ourselves we find only loneliness and despair but if we focus on looking for jesus look for him we'll find our real selves and our true selves as well and so lewis sums that up by saying you won't find your real self as long as you're looking for it, you'll find it when you're looking for him. That's a profoundly wise perspective. Um, and maybe just a little story to illustrate before I finish. Um, one of my one of my favourite musical artists in the world is uh, a woman called Gillian Welsh. Um, it's the kind of, my children find my taste in music really depressing and um, old man kind of music, but it's kind of folk music and it's beautiful and it's sad and it's lovely um, I'm not recommending it, you'll, you'll probably hate it, um, but I, I love it um, one of the things that fas- has always fascinated me about Gillian Welsh is um, she's always collaborated all her life with a man called Dave Rawlings who plays guitar um, and, is, and sings uh, alongside her um, and they've, they've co-written nearly all the songs they collaborate creatively and musically on everything they do and yet when you buy her albums, back back when you bought albums, um, only her name appears on it. And when you buy a ticket for a concert, only her name appears. And I always found this kind of puzzling. I thought, why are they not billed as Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings? Um, and the man's a musical genius. Um but once in my life I got to go and see Gillian Welsh live uh, in the Waterfront Hall in Belfast. Um, It's always stayed with me. She was brilliant. She was mesmerising. She was amazing. Um, But Dave Rawlings, um, I was fascinated by him because he clearly found so much joy in not being the centre of attention. And he would stay in the background and he would accompany what she was doing. And every now and again, he would lean into the mic and do a little bit. And then he would step back into the shadows. And what you could see as you looked at him was it brought him tremendous joy to make her look good, that everybody would be looking at her. And he had found his place in life. And I didn't feel sorry for him anymore. I thought the man looks like one of the freest, most joyful people I've ever seen, playing second fiddle. Really glad to do it. And it's kind of stayed with me as an image of of what I'm talking about, that it's a wonderfully liberating thing to stop trying to make a name for yourself and stop trying to promote yourself or prove yourself or express yourself and instead play your part freely and gladly, lifting others up so they can shine, but also especially lifting up the name of Jesus and pointing others towards him and saying, "Look." Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Look, don't look at me. Look over there. And so I'm going to let Fleming Fleming Rutledge have the last word. At the end of one of her Advent sermons, she says this. She says, the preacher today, like John the Baptist, has nothing to give you but Jesus. That is all and that is everything. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing together uh, to finish. Um, and just before I pray, let me encourage you. Um, we've, we've had a big theme this morning about struggling with God feeling far away or with darkness or with discouragement. And I really want to encourage you, um, if that's you this morning, um, grab someone near you who could pray with you uh, before you go this morning. Or if you're not sure who to ask, there'll be a couple of people up by this radiator And they would love to pray for you and just get someone to just draw alongside you and pray for God's hope and God's light uh, to break in whatever's going on in your life uh, at the minute. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, I want to thank you for the gift of John the Baptist. Um, And I want to thank you for how he consistently and repeatedly and stubbornly points us towards Jesus and says, look, Father, I want to pray this morning that you would give us a clearer picture of who Jesus is and that if our picture of Jesus is too small or too tame, I want to pray that John the Baptist would help to give us a a clearer picture Of the one who comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit on fire. Of the one who comes to judge the living and the dead. The one who comes to make all things new. Father, I want to pray, would you give us a clearer picture of Jesus? Um, Father, I want to pray, would you help us to be people who wait expectantly we are waiting expectantly for Jesus to come again, for him to appear and make all things new. Father, I wanna pray we'd be people who also wait expectantly in the middle of our muddled lives for Jesus to come to where we are and visit us with his healing and his salvation and his light and his hope. Father, I want to pray even for some of us here this morning that even this week, you would come and visit us and surprising and unexpected and miraculous things would happen as Jesus comes into our homes and into our everyday places. And Father, I want to pray, uh, would you teach each of us the joy and the freedom of living a life that is not consumed with ourselves? but with loving God and loving others, lifting other people up and letting them shine, and especially lifting up Jesus, and that everything about our lives would constantly be pointing to him and saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, Father, we pray your spirit would strengthen and inspire and encourage us as we put these things into practice. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.